Welcome in to another School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, joined by Adam and this week Calvin, as uh, Chris is out on vacation. And guys, uh, first off, how are you guys doing? Pretty well for not being on vacation, I guess. I guess we can we can live with that, even if some people like to go on vacations in the middle of the friggin' work week. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how that works out, but well, good for you, Chris, and and good for you. You went somewhere warmer because we seem to be stuck in permanent winterland. But yep. Yeah, somehow, some way, it's still cold. We get those few days of warmth, uh, but. You know, still still a little bit chilly up here in the north. But, guys, as as much as we're all sitting here and not on vacation like Chris, we've had some happiness uh, in the Everton front over the past couple weeks, and specifically over this week, beating the top six side in Arsenal. And, uh, you know, is a pretty solid win for the Blues. Probably should have been more. Um, and, and you look at this, and, you know, much like the West Ham match, Everton pretty much they jumped all over Arsenal in the opening minutes. Um, got the early bat, uh, early goal from uh, Jagielka off the set piece. Let's start off here. How similar was this match to the West Ham victory, and were there any crucial ways in which it was different? And uh, Calvin, we'll start with you. So I, I think this was a pretty impressive win. I mean, it was another impressive win, and these are I think all three of them sort of have the same hallmarks. I mean, when you when you pull clean sheets in all three games, there's obviously some element of defensive solidity there. But I think the circumstances were actually quite different. Um, against West Ham, Everton were pretty happy to let them have the ball in the middle and sort of let them pass themselves into oblivion and bore everyone to death while they were at it. Um, against Arsenal, you know, they have the ability to pick you apart. So we, I think we made sure we never uh, let them get comfortable on the ball. Uh, I loved how we were snapping into tackles way up the pitch. You know, I, I think an iconic uh, moment of that game was when uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin chased down their goalie and forced him to, you know, make a throw right uh, or give the ball away for a throw in right near the corner flag. Uh, I, I love that. That that that's the kind of uh, pressure that uh, Arsenal, as we have seen in the past, completely fold under. Um, and, and then I think against Arsenal, I was very impressed with how quickly we were launching counters. You know, there wasn't much of that dilly-dallying with the ball. Every time we won the ball off an Arsenal player, it was trying to get Bernard off to the races, trying to get Richarlison off to the races, or just hoof it high for Dom to chase down and, you know, bring someone else into play. So I, I think it was a little different from West Ham, but uh, at the same time, some some common elements. Yeah, and I think that that, that directness that, that you alluded to is kind of one of the, the major changes that we've seen really going back to the second half against Chelsea and then again against West Ham and then this weekend uh, against Arsenal, that Everton's looking wherever they win the ball, uh, definitely a little bit higher up the pitch uh, against Arsenal than we saw against West Ham where Everton was kind of content to press the hell out of him in the midfield. We were a little bit more aggressive going into the attacking third with the pressure. Um, but as soon as that ball gets one, just looking to ping the ball up the pitch, like you said, to the wingers and to just take advantage of the space that Arsenal kind of allowed because they were really spreading themselves very wide to, yeah. to try to pass the ball out of the back. And when you turn the ball over in that kind of shape, you can quickly find yourself in, in trouble defensively. And I think that that's probably what I would say 
the biggest similarity between the Arsenal and the West Ham match were that that both Pellegrini and, and Emery rolled out these uh, these three center back sets with you know two yeah. midfielders who were not really equipped to to get through the the line that that Everton was playing and right. when you stretch yourself that wide with those three center backs and you've got your wing backs way up the pitch which we saw against West Ham we saw against Arsenal you know it, you're playing right into Everton's hands because as soon as you turn the ball over in the midfield Richarlison and Bernard are gone they're in behind your wing backs and, and now you've got a real problem uh you know uh, the goal obviously came off the a set piece, you know, we didn't get anything directly from those chances, but it's the creation of those chances that gets you corners, that gets you free kicks, and that, that keeps the ball, you know, a hundred yards away from your own goal, which is right. helpful in getting a clean sheet as well. Yeah, it's, um, you know, there's a lot of great things to point out in that match. You know, the pressing was one of the things that, you know, like you guys both mentioned, you know, you love to see that the energy coming from, um, coming from the team and obviously feeding off the atmosphere a little bit. And, you know, it, it, it was a, it was a nice thing to see, you know, going home to Goodison and, and getting a win against the top six team. A lot of great things to look at. And, and one of the, the bright spots, I think we can all agree was Phil Jagielka getting the team's only goal, uh, after being included after Michael Keane was, uh, pronounced to be ill, uh, before the game. Obviously that provided some concern, but, you know, he ended up playing decently well, got the clean sheet from a center back perspective, got the goal uh, offensively. And, you know, what can you guys, and we'll start and we'll go back to you. What do you, what do you guys have, what do you guys have to say about Jags at this stage of his career, you know, doing something like that, just coming in and, and just being as, as solid as he's ever been. You know, we had concern at, at the start of the season, obviously the, the first match of the season, you know, it looked like he, had lost this step. Um, and for all the tremendous things that, that he's done for the club, and, you know, he's been a tremendous, tremendous serv- uh, servant to, to Everton Football Club, uh, you'd be forgiven for thinking that that, you know, might have been kind of the last moment for, for Phil Jagielka. And, you know, if Yerry Mina's not hurt, he, he doesn't get this opportunity either, even with Keane out. Um, you know, it, it speaks to his professionalism, which shouldn't come as a surprise that, he was ready to jump in and he, you know, obviously gets, gets the, the big moment of the match, uh, scoring the goal. I, I still don't think it changes the fact that he's lost a step. Um, but I think he was a beneficiary of a lot of the pressure that Everton put onto Arsenal in the midfield and, because it, it limited the amount of work he had to do because so much of that defending was being done by the midfield line. And obviously it, it helps when Unai Emery doesn't start Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who, right. you know, is fast. <laughs> yeah, with, ja- with Jags, yeah. I, I, you know, I, 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 obviously there's, there's, there's good and, and there's, there's bad too. And I, and I don't want people to forget the, you know, what Adam just highlighted there, that he has lost a step. Um, so, but let's start with the good. I'll tell you what I loved in that game. Jags is is a wily old customer. If you look at that set piece, right, he did something, and I'm referring to the one that he scored from. He created that goal himself, right? That was that was not something that was I think Silva had planned because I've not seen it all season long. 
But Jags was standing on the goal line when Dinia took that throw in. So he was going basically against the flow, if you will, and that threw off the defenders, and he headed the ball on. DCL went diving in, and I think between him and Richie, it ricocheted off someone and fell back to Jags again, who was quickest to react. That that kind of thinking, that that sort of almost cunning, if you will, that that that's that's a hallmark of Jags. I love him to death for that, but he has lost his pace. And I think there was one moment that really highlighted it for me. Um, there was a, I think there was a pretty deep cross right down the middle that Lacazette got a got his head to, and it, it kind of fell tamely to Pickford. But on replay, you can see Lacazette just running right between Zuma and Jags, and Jags, you know, again having lost his legs, also reacts when Lacazette's already past his shoulder. There's no way he's catching catching him after that, and Lacazette basically just got an uncontested header. Lucky for us that it was a poor header. But so again, on, on that note, Jags tremendous servant to the club. But I think his time is up. Um, I, I that, that's all there is to say. It's 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 sentimental. But uh, we, we're gonna have to be professional here. Yeah, and you know, it's it's nice uh, again that that we we got to have this moment. That if you know, if this is his last meaningful contribution you know, this season and, and he's done after this season. It's nice that he gets to go out uh, the hero and right. especially at a time. And we've talked about, about it on this podcast a lot that Kurt Zuma and Michael Keane should score way more goals from set pieces than they do because right. they find themselves in good, in good areas a lot. And they just can't friggin' head the ball straight. Obviously this, you know, comes off Jagielka's foot in the end, but it, it is, a testament, as you said, Calvin, to some of that, you know, wily veteranness that when when push came to shove, it was the big moment. He put the ball in the back of the net when we've yep. seen Keane and Zuma fail to do so in similar opportunities so frequently this season. Hey, he finished better than all the other players on on, on Sunday. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Jags has been uh, he, he, again. He, he's he's shown that he still has a little that bit of uh that bit of wily old veteran in him knowing where to be but again uh like Calvin mentioned things can be uh can be pointed out where Jags you know has lost a step and you know there's reason that you know Keen Zuma and Mina are ahead of him um and, and you know despite Jags coming in obviously I think we're all would be much happier having that Keen and uh or much more comfortable having that Keen and uh, Keenan Zuma pairing back together as, as we, uh, take on our final matches of the season. But just looking at the solid performance all around from Everton, who caught your eye the most in this performance? I, uh, I, I'm gonna have to go with the, the, the midfield pair, uh, in, in Idrissa Gay and, and Andre Gomes. Um, you know, Gomes had his ups and downs earlier in the season. Um, Silva gave him a rest and, and started Morgan Schneiderlin at, at kind of a weird time where we mostly felt like that move was a month too late. But I mean, credit to Silva because Andre has looked in the last couple of matches every bit the, the player he looked in his first month, uh, healthy at, at the club. Uh, and, and he and Ghana are a serious, serious problem. 
for opposing midfields because they're so athletic. They're so good at winning the ball. And both guys, you know, obviously, Andre, we, we expect the, um, the distribution from a little bit more than Ghana, but Ghana is capable enough that in those situations where we've won the ball back in the midfield and he's, he's got to play the quick pass forward to the winger or to Gilfie or to Dom or to whomever, you know, if it's a simple pass more often than not, he's, he's going to make it. And that's really one of the things that benefits everybody in, in this kind of high pressing system is it simplifies the, the playmaking a little bit because the idea is that you're winning the ball in more dangerous areas. And we've seen Ghana and Gomish winning the ball in those areas and being able to pretty quickly spring things the other way. And, and as I, I, we've mentioned multiple times already, you know, Everton could have easily had two or three goals in this game, uh, you know, with a little bit better finishing from the guys in front of them. Uh, and I think a lot of credit has to go to those two for getting the ball into those areas and, and winning the ball in, in situations where Everton had a good chance to create a solid attack afterward. Yeah, it, it's always a good sign for a team when you have about five or six candidates for man of the match, right? That's, <laughs> yeah. You're, you're usually winning those games, right? Um, so, you know, I, I think at this point we've been talking about Bernard and Dinier and, you know, that linking up on the left is, you know, is bringing everyone flashbacks of Baines and Pinar. And uh, at this point, we are, it's, it's almost expected. So I'm not even going to mention them. But I do want to talk about Dom. I, I think he, he had an excellent game again. Um, this, this Everton's recent resurgence has, I think, a lot uh, to credit Dom for. I think his work rate, I think how hard he's working and running around and creating pressure up front is, is really, is really, I think, embodying the, the way Silva wants Everton playing right now. Um, you know, he hassled and harried uh, Socrates and Mustafi all afternoon long. Um, I think I just looked at the stat there. He he got into eight aerial duels, and often it took both of them combined to keep him from getting to the ball. Uh, you know, the youngster's got plenty of energy. He's not afraid to run, to work hard, and I think it just makes him a perfect fit for this uh, high press that Silva uh, chose to go with against Arsenal. Um, I, I think once uh, once we get him to improve uh, some of that positional awareness, uh, especially off the ball, and then and, and you know and then the finishing, obviously, uh, I, I think that 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 would really make him the, the the complete striker. Yeah, and it's just it's so vital if you're gonna play a system where you're you're pressing high like uh, like Everton are that you've got a striker who's going to be that first line of defense and who's who's going to force the opposing center backs or the goalkeeper even in, in some situations to have to play a quick pass that that they don't really want to play and especially in in the back 3 that we saw um from Arsenal this this weekend and and uh West Ham the week before a lot of times you know if that pressure is coming centrally they're going to ping the ball out wide to the wing backs Right. And Bernard and Richarlison have been very good applying pressure to those guys in, in those Y areas where they don't really have anywhere to go because they're basically standing on the sideline. And all that starts yeah. with the pressure that Calvert-Lewin brings. And, and it's it's an absolute game changer. You're 100% right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, you know, I personally, as we know on this podcast, I've been a backer of Dom since, like, day one. I've, I've you know, multiple times, if you go back, I've said when we were looking for a striker that we should keep trying him and keep going back to him. But, you know, I, I think the one thing about Dom is, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, he's not scoring the goals. And, and, and you know, Tosun didn't score the goals too. But at the same time, it feels like Dom is contributing more um, when he, even though he's not scoring the goals, uh, you know, at, you know, at all times than any of our other strikers have, you know, with that press, with the ability to put, uh, opposing teams, defenders under pressure, it feels like he's just, you know, contributing even though he's not scoring the goals and putting, uh, you know, the number on the board. Uh, he's the one that's really creating a lot for us in terms of that press and opening things up, um, that and, may not be opened up by another striker. And I think that uh, I have to just say with Calvert-Lewin and his finishing uh, that 100% the eye test kind of tells you I- I'm not really confident with, with him in front of goal. Uh, Understat has his expected goals this year at in only in Premier League play at 4.6, and he's got six goals. Now, again, the numbers don't always tell all of the story, and the eye test is still a valuable tool, but I'm not 100% sure that I, I buy into the narrative that, that he is a poor finisher, at least maybe not as poor a finisher as sometimes the narrative might suggest, even if there is room for improvement uh, still. Yeah, and you know, still young, so obviously, obviously, there's going to be room for improvement. Getting his, you know, first or I guess first full season of of real work, I guess you could say, um, in the first team, and um, you know, I think he's done a really good job. And experience under Sam Allardyce doesn't count. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fair statement. That's a very fair statement. But. Moving on now to what we talked about last week in regards to Everton. And, you know, we talked a lot about their chances of making it to seventh place, a potential Europa League spot. And, you know, when we had Chris and Adam on the podcast, we, we all said that it looks kind of gloom still, even though look, we had gotten, um, you know, we, we've been on a little bit of a roll here other than the Newcastle game. But now the Toffees sit one point out of seventh place. Leicester and Wolves are both ahead of them. Wolves has a game in hand on both Leicester and and Everton. But how does this performance and the performance of the other teams around Everton impact your your guys' outlook on Everton's Europa League chances? And I guess, Calvin, maybe give us your idea of how you felt last week um, about our Europa League chances and how you feel now. It's marginally better, right? Um, and and I'll, it's not because of how Everton are playing. It's because of, I think, how well everyone else around them is playing. Like, unfortunately, like Leicester just keep on winning right now under Brendan Rodgers. It's, 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 it's really frustrating. Um, so if this, you know, as long as they keep on winning, this is continued to be like a four horse race for that one spot, right? Um, Le- Leicester again seem to have just found new life right now under Rodgers. Um, you know, Vardy's playing like he's 29 again, or <laughs> was that the was that the age I think when he first hit the scene? But 
I, it, it's it's going to be it's going to be challenging. Um, I I took a look at the schedules here, and so the Foxes they've got Arsenal, City, and Chelsea as their last three games. So they they've got some pressure trying to finish out this this uh you know this whole season on a winning run. Um, Everton we've got United and Spurs. Um, Watford have Arsenal, Chelsea, and West Ham, and then Wolves have Arsenal and Liverpool. So everyone's got some big six competition and, you know, the top six are obviously duking it out among themselves as everyone's jockeying for Champions League spots and then the top two, obviously. Um, there's, there's, if on April 27th, actually, yeah, I think Watford and Wolves play each other and that, that's gotta be a decider somehow, right? Cause either the winner, you know, takes the step ahead because they have a game, both sides have a game on Leicester and Everton. Or, you know, the best case scenario for Everton is the two draw and Leicester end up getting beat by the three top six sides they play. And, you know, the pressure is still on Everton to try and, I don't want to say win out, but, you know, try and get as many points as we can uh, from the remaining games. We we certainly got to beat the the, th- the three teams that are below us that are coming up, um, you know, then that might give us some room, some wiggle room against United, and and then the last day of the season at Spurs, but it, it, it's going to be exciting. I, I I don't see this getting resolved until at least not before uh, that April twenty seventh uh, game. Yeah, and I, I think that the what has changed for me mostly is is that I feel a lot better about Everton hosting United on April 21st, um, you know, to what they did against Chelsea a couple of weeks ago um, was obviously good. And we were very happy to have gotten the three points from that, but they played a really bad first half, which we've kind of lost in the shuffle at this point. Um, and then a very good second half. And I thought, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if I think that, that this team is, is going to be able to pull that performance out multiple times uh, against a top six side. And then, they come out and, you know, they, they pretty much took it to Arsenal for 90 minutes. And, and let's not forget that that's a, a United side that is going to be playing a Champions League uh, game between now and then as well. And, and I think uh, you have to assume that Everton beats beats Fulham this weekend. I know we're going to talk about the Fulham match in a little bit. Uh, Everton home against Burnley. There's There's really no excuse to lose that either. Yeah. And then you hope that you can go to Crystal Palace and get three points in, in the form that we're in. And, you know, even if you just do all three of those, when, as you've pointed out, you know, Wolves and Watford play each other. So that's that's one instance in at least where one or both of those teams are not going to pick up three points. Right. If, if you can beat Fulham next this coming weekend and, and you can steal one against United the way they, they did against Arsenal this weekend... Well, it's hard to rule it out. Um, and the, the performances, the fact that it, it, this is beginning to feel more like the new normal rather than, uh, a, a blip on the radar where we're accidentally yeah. seeing them play good. Um, it makes you feel a lot better about all of the matches, even if you still look at, you know, Tottenham on the last day of the season and go, that's going to be tough and, and United and, recognize that that'll be tough as well uh just the overall increase in form does make you feel better even if all the other teams are still you know holding pretty good form themselves 
Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be exciting. And, you know, I, I think when we earlier in the season, when things weren't going so well about January, you know, it, it seemed uh, like everything was doom and gloom, not much to play for once again early in the season. Um, but things have turned around and there's there's a lot to play for now. And that, that opportunity to play for playing the Europa League, it's going to be exciting. There's going to be meaningful games here uh, down the stretch. And, you know, Obviously, it's not going to be for the title or for Champions League, but it's all you can ask for to, you know, have a team that has something to play for down the stretch and finish strong. And like you said, Adam, you expect them to be Fulham, but it's it's you know something that, I mean, maybe not Fulham, but um, but with other teams <laughs> that are of lesser uh, quality, Everton have have had some trouble playing down to them a little bit. So let's jump right into the Fulham preview right now, and. Let's talk about this the the matchup with Fulham specifically, and and we have to start by discussing Fulham in general, their season, how things have went for them, and they've spent over a hundred million pounds over the summer, and still created from the Premier League with six matches to play. Calvin, what went wrong here, man? At you know, during that transfer window, I mean, who else had flashbacks of Everton's big summer of spending under Steve Walsh, right? Oh, yeah. Went and yeah. got out a whole bunch of big names and it looked like, you know, it was going to be great. And and to be honest, I, I think at least four or five of those players that they brought in are quality or at least on paper, they appear to be quality, right? I, I, I would take Andre Shurla like pretty much any other, any given day. I, I, I thought he would be a hit there. In fact, I think I remember uh, seeing his name come up as, you know, sort of unlikely player of the season nominee kind of lists, right? But yeah, I, I don't know where it all went wrong for them. I mean, it was just, you know, taking a look at at, at their at their at their squad list, right? Callum Chambers, right? He's not a scrub. Uh, he's isn't he on loan from Arsenal or mm-hmm. is he a permanent permanent transfer? At he's this on point? loan. He's on loan, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, you got Fosumensa mm-hmm. from United, right? Uh, Joe Bryan. We thought for the longest time we would be chasing him to re- to replace Leighton Baines, right? Um, Steven Sessegnon, supposedly the most exciting young winger coming out of England for years. Uh, sorry, Ryan Sessegnon, that is. Um, again, just going through the list, uh, it's like what I'm not really sure where it went wrong for them, but just looking at some of their scores and you know just watching them play, they there just did not seem to be any chemistry within that squad, no matter who was in charge, and also I think they failed at one of the key things that most. Uh, teams that get promoted to the Premier League always pay attention to, which is build the defense. Because you are not going to go outgun the top six, right? So at best, what you need to do is you need to at least be able to contain the remaining, you know, 10 or so teams in the middle and somehow, you know, save yourself. Uh, And I'm thinking of how teams like Brighton defend, right? And that's how I think they're going to ensure their survival um, but just I, I'm I, I'm I'm stunned by how poorly Fulham have defended, how how poorly that squad's been constructed as far as balance goes. Um, 
uh, yeah, uh, that's that's the thing that's all about. I had to say about them. Yeah, well, you know, and, and I think that that I, uh, Fulham maybe didn't precisely do this, but when you look at at Bournemouth, who I think has kind of become the uh, the platonic ideal of the promoted team that sticks in the Premier League, that actually you know comes out and plays a little bit. Um, and that's, I think, what kind of what Fulham wanted to model themselves after. But you can't come out only preparing to attack. And I mean, I, the the big issue I think is that they kind of relied on the idea that guys like Callum Chambers and Fasu Mensa and and Joe Bryan who are thought who at one point were thought highly of, but had never quite proven themselves in the Premier League that they were all going to come through, or at least a few of them would come through for them. Uh, And and it it just didn't pan out that way. And then, you know, you're looking at guys like Tim Ream, uh, Maxime uh, Lemarchand, and and thinking Tim Ream, like that Tim Ream? Like the one that plays for the U.S. national team. He, he was out the first two or three months of the season. And I remember Fulham, you know, the, the hope in Fulham being that Tim Ream, that Tim Ream was going to come and be the defensive savior for this team. And, and that kind of speaks to, you know, how, how low, uh, the expectations on their, their defense were. You, and then that they really incredibly stuck to that plan even into into January. Um, you know, the, the two moves that they made in the transfer window in January were Ryan Babel, which again, yes, that Ryan Babel, I won't yeah. do the whole bit again, but yes, that Ryan Babel and Lazar Markovic were their two signings uh, over the, the winter window. And, and you're allowed to do, yeah, that Lazar Markovic too. Yes, that, that Lazar Markovic. Yes, the one who used to be at Liverpool. Uh, and how you could possibly look, even if you felt at the start of the season, like guys like Fasu Mensa and Chambers were going to pan out for you. It, it, certainly by the halfway point of the season, you had to go, well, they're not. Let's, you know, go buy some, you know, Ryan Shawcross clone who will just, you know, punch people enough that, that we don't give up any goals and, right. and they just didn't do it and they never adjusted. And, you know, the, the reality is that barring a, a pretty significant turnaround in their last couple of games, they're going to end up being the, the team that gives up the most goals uh, in a premier league season since 2013, 14, when they got relegated and gave up, I, I think it was 81. Uh, so, you can't give up 81 goals in a Premier League season and expect to stay up, regardless of how many interesting attacking pieces you put together. You just can't do it. Yeah, and I think uh, uh, when you look at Fulham, uh, it's easy to, you know, see another team that also spent a lot of money but isn't, you know, spent it smartly and and isn't doing as poorly as them in Wolves. Wolves, we all talked about, was mm-hmm. spending tons of money over the summer. But they did it in the right areas. They had a coach and, and a, someone who had a plan and, a, and uh, a manager who had a plan and and an idea of what he wanted to do there. And, you know, we see them and they're, you know, right up there, like we just mentioned, fighting with us for that seven spot. And, and it's just a matter of how things can go differently, you yeah, know, and, if you're, by the and, way, and, 
And Wolves have only conceded 39 goals this season. You know, that's, that's better than Arsenal and Manchester United. You know, that's, that's fourth, fourth fewest, uh, fifth fewest, excuse me, fifth fewest goals conceded. You you can win a lot of games that way. We don't think of Wolves as a team, you know, that comes in to, you know, drag the pace of play and throw 10 guys behind the ball. Uh, You know, they're pragmatic, but they've got the attacking weapons too. And, and there has to be, that balance and boy howdy Fulham just did not have it at, at any point from the start of the season till right now. No. Yeah, it's it's been pretty rough for them and you know we can see very recently how rough it's been as they uh did not have a good performance against uh Watford losing four to one and you know they have nothing left to play for out of the Premier League going to be relegated um back down to the championship with that said, Calvin, we'll go to you first. Does Fulham have any players who concern you ahead of this match? So here's the funny thing. I think Fulham still have a number of pretty skillful players. And I just wonder if now that the whole pressure of survival is off, you know, do they, do they actually play well now with the sense of freedom or with the sense of come and get me in the summer, right? Because I'm assuming there's going to be some sort of a fire sale. You don't spend over a hundred million pounds and get relegated and maintain that squad throughout the championship. Um, but I mean, definitely, I, I think Ryan Sessegnon and uh, I think Mitrovic, a striker that we've been linked with more than once. Um, I, I think these guys are dangerous. I, I think they, they can cause us some trouble. Um, I again, I just it, it, it's hard to see a side that's sort of folded over so meekly all season long to suddenly change. So, you know, tempered there, uh, I I do expect them to you know play a little better at home than they did uh, away at Watford last game. Uh, so personally, I, I think I was just predicting a two-one win for Everton. Uh, I don't. I don't think we'll 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 score too many. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, Mitrovic, someone I'd, I'd keep my eye on, and I think Ryan Sessegnon's pace um, could cause some trouble. Yeah, Mitrovic uh, is is absolutely mine as well, and and not out of any that you know disrespect to some of the other relatively talented guys they've got there you know and we we laugh about Ryan Babel yes that Ryan Babel who's been okay since he's come over um but but I think that we have seen in recent weeks um an improvement in Everton's set piece defending um and we would certainly like to think that 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 is an issue that has kind of been sorted um but Alexander Mitrovic is a large fellow uh, he's good in the air, and you suspect that we will probably press Fulham high, and, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the tactics in a bit. But uh, certainly, I think concern that if Fulham gets on the break and, and we have to take a couple of cynical, you know, tactical fouls that that give Fulham free kicks in dangerous areas. Uh, I don't want to see that giant Serbian man flying at my goalkeeper, you know, chasing down a header. That is, I think, really my my biggest fear in terms of 
what what Fulham can offer is that Mitrovic will find a set piece opportunity and we'll watch him head it in the back of the net because that's the way it's gone for much of the season. The season, yeah. Yeah, um, it, you know, I, I think I can agree with you all with Mitrovic. I mean, you know, set pieces, you know, while things haven't been too bad, uh, you know, recently, obviously still a little bit of a worry. You never, never know when those things can come back. Um, and, you know, obviously it's very hard to defend someone like that uh, in the box. So he's certainly a player to watch out for. But looking at Everton's last three matches, so we move to the Everton side of, side of things in this matchup, they were all wins. Uh, but they came against opponents, opponents who looked to play expansive, attacking football, um, and, and got smothered by the Everton high press. And, and we talked a little bit about how that's something that Fulham has typically done this season too. But if Fulham comes out sitting deep and just trying to maintain, you know, you know, a, a, a nice score line, maintain their own dignity here, um, are you guys concerned at all about Everton's ability to break them down? Adam, let's go to you first. Um, I, I am still concerned about Everton's ability to, to break down a, a deep lying defense, um, in general. Um, you know, I, I think that that's something that we've seen the team struggle with. And then, as we've said, you know, get pinged on the, the counter or on a set piece in the, in the other direction and, and really, really struggle to, to break teams down. That said, um, you don't, give up the number of goals that Fulham has given up this season um, by being able to defend well in any capacity. Um, so I, I'm not particularly concerned that even if Fulham comes out and sits deep, uh, we'll have too much of a problem breaking them down um, when we surely have this conversation again before the Crystal Palace match and before the Burnley match, uh, the the two, you know, uh, lower teams uh, that we still have on the schedule, then this is a conversation that I think gets a, a little bit more interesting because you're talking about teams that have a, a something of a sense of how to keep the ball out of the back of their own net. Uh, but but Fulham, even with any kind of tactical change, I just don't think has the personnel uh, to to make things difficult by playing that way. Dallas, if you. Yeah, if you, if you look at Everton, like just the last like three games, I mean, I'll even throw in that Newcastle first half as well, right? Mm-hmm. The, the the passing has been incisive, right? I, I think the quality of passing has been excellent, and and I think what what I've enjoyed the most is how incredibly fluid. The, the the team has looked right. It, it it's not rigid positions anymore. You know, I'm seeing Bernard cutting into the middle. I'm seeing Richarlison swing switching wings. Dom is out on the left, winning the ball, and Sigurdsson's suddenly the furthest player ahead. And and, and that's the kind of movement you need to break down an opponent that bunkers against you. You know, I, I think where we have struggled to beat such defenses has been. When we have stuck to our rigid sort of four-two-three-one, um, and and where now the midfield pushes up, and Sigurdsson's got nowhere to go right now, and he's pressed into the striker, and the wingers are cut off on the sides. We we haven't looked like that team, I, I think, in a long time now. So it, it, this will be an interesting challenge. And I think another thing I'll throw in there is 
we've also had the advantage of uh, you know scoring two early goals at, at least uh, against West Ham and against Arsenal and against Newcastle as well you know we we got the early goals and that allows you to start playing a certain way so an early goal at Fulham could could i think just change the entire dynamic i think the whole house of cards could come crashing down for Fulham if they concede early at home having been relegated i mean i'd i'd be impressed to see how many people even show up for this game yeah and I, that's that's an excellent point about the early goals and something that i i had not uh, thought about either i think you're right i think if everton scores in the opening 10 minutes like we've seen the last two weeks i, I mean this this could get very very ugly um <laughs> because i i think if if the the desire goes out of fulham we know they don't they don't have the quality <laughs> so if the desire's not there either it's yeah, it's going to be ugly <laughs> yep. yeah uh, you know it's going to be interesting to see how they come out obviously you know i think i could agree with both you guys you know i i don't know how um things will look if they do sit back a little bit uh we've had trouble with that previously we're going to need some you know some players to step up and really break things down but I don't know. To me, it just it feels like this is one that we can win, and um, it won't be too much of a test. I feel like you know, they haven't changed much over the course of the season, and I don't see them changing now. But as we say that, let's get to for some predictions now. And uh, Calvin, let's start with you. We you kind of already made one earlier, but it, yeah, you want to make any of that? Yeah. So uh, no, I jumped the gun there. I I think I called Everton to win two one. Um, and I think part of that was also assuming we get that early goal. Um, again, I, I am I am giving Fulham some credit, and I'm giving their their supporters some credit to assuming they're going to show up, um, you know, sort of as a sign of support for the team despite their relegation, and and, and at least be you know be present and at least cheer the the team on. Um, I I think Fulham are, are a decent enough side at home, just like most teams do play better at home. Um, you know, I I think a challenge for Everton could happen if Fulham happened to get that set-piece goal early. That kind of puts things on, on, on another foot because what does Fulham do then? Do they sit back and now bunker for the remaining 80-plus minutes and, and let, you know, just let Everton throw everything at him? And, you know, as much as I'm enjoying our clean sheet streak... Uh, I'd like to see that as a challenge for Marco Silva to see, you know, if he can start, you know, basically warming up for next season by, um, you know, if under that kind of adversity, can we unlock a team like Fulham, uh, you know, away from Goodison Park? Adam? Yeah, I, I, uh, I would also love to see another clean sheet. I, I just think that four in a row is is too much to ask um but i i think ultimately everton will will find attacking success relatively easy against a team that's just been you know that has has the ability potentially before the season is over to be historically bad defensively in terms of number of goals conceded uh so i'm i'm gonna take 3-1 everton i think they get one in the first half uh, kind of go into cruise control and give up a stupid one late that doesn't impact anything but makes you mad that they didn't get the clean sheet. <laughs> uh, I actually had, for once, some optimism in this one when I uh, made my prediction for the Prediction League this week. I had Everton 3 nothing again. 
I don't know. The defense is playing really well, and I could see like like we've mentioned, you know, Everton gets that first goal and. And then, you know, things kind of fall apart a little bit, and I think they're able to carry things out. They've done a really good job of staying focused defensively, and I think that's probably something that Marco Silva will want to make sure happens again uh, today, or uh, excuse me, uh, over the weekend um, as uh, the Toffees. You know, it's it's hard. these these Some of these games, especially if you go up uh, big, 3 nothing. that's when, you know, it, it's really hard to stay focused on defense because get a little lackadaisical. But I yeah. think that's something that w- would be good to see that if we do go up three nothing, still getting that clean sheet, I think we can do it. Um, and I think we come up with uh, a victory, three points, and uh, just continue moving towards a, a, a good, a good finish to the season, and uh, hopefully uh, better things to come as the season moves on. But guys, that's all I have on my rundown. Anything you guys, anything else you guys want to go over uh, before we wrap things up here? Yeah, I wanted to cover a, a little bit of uh, what's going on with the under-23s as well. Um, you know, they, they had a pretty famous uh, win in the beginning of March in the mini Merseyside Derby. Uh, they, you know, they beat Liverpool in Anfield 2-0. It was looking like that was it. The Premier League 2 title was done and dusted, you know, for the second time in three years. And then they seemed to hit a bit of a rocky patch. Uh, they drew at home against Arsenal. And then uh, just last week, actually on Sunday, uh, the day of the Arsenal game, they lost at Manchester City in a, in a heartbreaker of a game too, 4-3. And uh, that, that's actually thrown everything uh, kind of wide open once again because uh, Everton now just uh, lead uh, Brighton, Brighton, believe it or not, uh, by three points. And there's just two games left to play. And here's the big uh, twist in the tail. Everton's next opponents are Brighton. So this, uh, this should be an, a pretty interesting game coming up this weekend, uh, for, for the, for the youngsters. And I, and I yeah. think it'll be, uh, interesting. You know, we've, we've talked at, at times this season about Everton's youth development. And, you know, even if, uh, even if they don't and wind up coming out on, on top, uh, in, in the Premier League too. Uh, it remains kind of an interesting thing to see how we see some of the, the players who have led the charge potentially integrated next season. We haven't seen a whole lot of the, the players from the, the team that won the, the PL2 title a, a couple of years back be able yeah. to make a, a big splash in the senior team. Uh, and, uh, hopefully that is something that, that we can see get turned around maybe by, uh, the start by this team. Uh, pulling out a big result and, and taking home the PL2 title. Yeah. Yeah, definitely something to look out for there. Always good to see uh, the U23s and the youth uh, clubs uh, under Everton are really doing well, and, and, and that would be something big for them. It's a big matchup, and uh, obviously we'll all be uh, looking out for it. And really- One more thing. Yes. One more thing that uh, I think everybody should go and read um, on the site, royalbluemersey.com. Um, our uh, Everton ladies uh, correspondent, uh, Rachel, wrote a really thoughtful uh, piece about some of the attendance issues that have dogged the Everton ladies uh, team and the Liverpool women's club as well. Both teams have pretty vastly underperformed 
this season and both on the field and, and off. And it's something, uh, if, if you are an Evertonian and, and you're ingrained in, in the culture of the club and, and wanting to do things the right way as the club has always strived to do, um, what is going on with the, the ladies side, um, is something that, that you should be aware of. And, and Rachel does a really good job of, of breaking down some of the, the issues and, and some potential solutions. And it's just something I want to be on everybody who calls themselves an Evertonian. It, it should be on their radar as well as the senior team on the men's side and as, as well as the U23 team. Cause it's, you know, it's all Everton at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point, Adam. And, and, and I hope everybody else goes out goes out and reads that because a, a great article and a great job by Rachel um, really pointing out some some things with the women's ladies team and she does great work with the women's ladies team in general uh, puts a lot out there and keep the coverage because as you just mentioned you know it's all Everton uh, no matter whether it's the women's the under 23s or the first team uh, all the same same club and uh, got to support them all the same as you know um it's just what we do here at Everton. Uh, so, guys, I think that's it. And uh, thank you for joining me. Calvin, thanks for hopping on uh, for this podcast. And hopefully we'll have you on more often. Uh, and, uh, Adam, always great talking to you again. Guys out there, keep following us on Twitter. Uh, keep watching out for the podcast. And we'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>